0: Welcome to a new episode of the Foam Mount Lincoln Center podcast. This week we're featuring a Q&A from the 60th New York Film Festival with director Albert Serra on Pacifiction. But first, listen to a special programmer's preview with the curators behind the 51st Dance on Camera Festival, taking place this Friday through Monday and featuring 30 new films representing 35 countries. Get tickets to the longest-running dance film festival in the world at filmlink.org dance. Right, Hello, hello. Um, welcome to this programmer's intro for this year's Dance on Camera Festival taking place February 10th to 13th in Film at Lincoln Center Theaters. Um, we have a great group of programmers here ready to talk about the lineup and give a kind of sneak peek to what's in store this year. Uh, perhaps we can start with Michael.
1: Sure. Um, I'm Michael Trosnovec. I'm one of the co- Curators of this year's festival. This is my third or fourth year involved with the festival at this point. I'm also a board member for Dance Films Association.
2: Hi there, I'm Sean Bible. I'm the president of the Dance Films Association. I've had a long standing history with this organization and love dance film, and uh, another co curator for the program this year.
3: Hi, everyone. I'm Nalini Barretto, and um, one of the co curators. I've been doing this for a while. And just love the opportunity to bring all these great films to you guys. We saw 350, no, 370 films this year. So you're getting the pick of all of those hours of viewing.
0: So one thing I think uh, really impressive about Dance on Camera is that it's the longest dance film festival in the world, uh, now entering its 51st edition. Um, I was wondering if maybe you can touch on the selection process, how you guys chose your films, how you even uh, categorize them into various programs and, you know, maybe some themes that you've seen throughout.
2: I'll start and we can all fill in. Uh, so the way in which it's it's a pretty typical process in which filmmakers can submit films, they submit um, via, uh, via uh, an online site called Film Freeway. And they film um, usually complete films. We don't usually view works in process, um, but uh, completed films, they come from all around the world. And um, obviously we have deadlines and um, films are categorized in in a myriad of forms. And I think that's the beauty of Dance on Camera is that we feature films in all sorts of um, categories of film, whether they be documentary, biography, Short films, experimental films, even nowadays animation and music video, um, because dance on camera and and film itself has really extended itself into into technology and influences by technology.
3: Yep, and really, we all watch all the films being uh, submitted. Uh, it's not like we divvy up. You know, you do the first fifty. We all watch them all, and then we argue about them, and <laughs> <laughs> and take copious notes. And it's it's a long process, uh, and that finally um, sort of bears down to what the audiences will see.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a great process because we all have such different opinions about the films that we like and we don't like so it, it becomes a really important conversation about the films that stand out to us individually and why so you really have to be able to say like I love this film because I feel know. like it would work well and and there's so often so many films that may come forward as being you know excellently crafted and like made really brilliantly film uh, a brilliant film but somehow they just don't fit into the puzzle of the programming so we, we try to get as many in there as we can that we love, but sometimes some just slip through or just don't quite work in this season's lineup.
2: Dance on Camera sees such incredible work every year. And I think that's really our mission is to present the best of the best of films that are coming from around the world. People who are, you know, introducing new concepts, new ways of editing, um, new ways of thinking, um, highlighting figures in dance that we might not be very uh, familiar with. So that's really the beauty of this, and so choosing the films is the most difficult part.
3: Yeah, and really, you know, we don't even look for oh, has this been made? Uh, which country is this coming from? Or what gender is this coming from? Or what we just look at the film in all of its, um, you know, how how absorbing is it? How uh, compelling is it? How wonderfully crafted is it? And then after that, we find, oh, the themes, oh, there's like this year, what really popped out this year was that there's so many filmmakers who are female, so many directors that, that are female, which is really kind of unprecedented in, in the amount that they are. I, uh, I was reading an article the other day for, by Manola Darga. She's a film critic at the New York Times. And she said something about how uh, she noted that they're experiencing a sea change with women in movies and the shift in numbers and the, and in consciousness uh, with fil- female filmmakers. But she was talking about 18% of dire- female directors in, you know, big films to a uh, box office hits. We are talking about 63%. So this year we have 30 films in all counting the features and the shorts and the mid lengths. And of those 30, 30 films, Nineteen are by uh, women directors. And they're all strong voices. There are unafraid voices. And it's been a pleasure for all of us after we chose films to discover this fact,
0: speaking of about thirty films from what almost thirty five countries, I was wondering <laughs> if we can dive into the lineup just a little bit, starting with the opening night program.
1: I, I I guess I can start a little bit. Um, so Call Me Dancer is a film that has been. Sort of part of the Dance Films Associ- Association and Dance on Camera family for a little bit. They were an early production grantee. Last year's festival, we um, had them come in and we uh, did a production grantee screening where they showed some excerpts and we had a conversation with the director and the the young man that is the central fig- figure in this story. And so it kind of felt like a, a culmination of of sorts to present it in its entirety this year as the opening night feature and not, not only because of those things but because it's just a really great film it's really moving it's really touching to see somebody um with such aspirations and to watch their journey and to follow him along and see the challenges and the sort of rewards and and this really incredible relationship he has with a teacher that that affects him in a way that really i mean really changes his life i think really changes his life for, for the better Mm-hmm. But we don't know yet. He's still on his journey. So we're just getting a glimpse in the beginnings of his journey.
3: And like in so many films that we're showing this time, there's a really strong cultural uh sensibilities that we get to experience. So this one, the, the young dancer Manish, is coming, has been discovered in Bombay in, in Mumbai, in uh, uh really, you know, all on the he's a street dancer, and then we have uh, uh, films like uh that we were directors and documentaries about film uh, um, ballet people that we have not really heard enough of in this country. So, for instance, from the Netherlands, there's a, a film um, about the choreographer Hans van Manen, who uh, choreographs both for the Netherlands Dance Theatre and the Dutch National Ballet. He's done 150 ballets, and we don't know enough about him. And this is how we're finding out from these... Incredible documentaries that people have brought us. Um, another one, I guess, is uh, Bella Bella Lewitsky, who is huge in California. She's such a powerful person as an activist and a choreographer, and she you know changed so many things. But on the East Coast, we haven't heard so much about her. So how great to be able to witness this you know, documentary. And adding to
1: that is another film called Transparent that about Siobhan Davies, who's one of those people that is on the peripheral you always hear about, don't know about the work, but to see someone's process in such a, you know, fascinating, unique way. The film is really, really great. I and mean, it's one I, for me, it's on my must see list for every single person I tell.
2: <laughs> and I was just going to re- re- reiterate as well, the film Top Nine, which was one of our um, films in the 12th program. Um, it is an incredible film that focuses on um, b boys and break dancing. And that's the sort of genre of dance that we haven't really focused on before in Dance on Camera. So it was really thrilling to have a film. Um, but come. where
3: it's coming from, Sean?
2: Yes. I mean,
3: whoa, well, it's set coming in Russia. I mean, who
2: (laughs) (laughs) knew? And this is what I mean about the statement I made about Dance on Camera and Dance Films Association trying to really present films, you know, in areas that we are not as familiar with, you know, to try to continue to educate and and push, you know, knowledge of dance and film and the artistry into the world. Um, And I
0: think one thing that's always amazing about the dance on camera lineups is that you folks are able to kind of categorize. A variety of these films in different programs. Whether, for instance, this year, whether that's through sonic relationships or culturally, um, I think it's amazing how a lot of these films just talk to each other in a way by being just even programmed in. You know, the same block each night. Um, I'm wondering if there was if there was any program this year that kind of felt special to any of you or one that you're very particularly excited to show to audiences.
2: My whole reason for Um, participating in dance on camera in the first place was the shorts program. So many years ago, I fell into a shorts program and thought, what are these wonderful little films about dance? I had no idea what was happening, you know? And so I was so intrigued by it. So honestly, every year I am so excited to see the shorts that come in and and to to share the shorts programs with people. We always have two shorts programs because there are just so many brilliant films that we want to show. Um, that are all so completely diverse and different from each other, that that's always the highlight for me. Um, There are some really powerful films that fall in these categories. One of them just, I just want to touch on is called I Fall. And I just think it's such a beautifully moving film emotionally. It touches on present day, you know, um, issues in society is beautifully filmed. The choreography is just stunning. So even these short little films that can be between three minutes and 10 minutes, 15 minutes, they can have just as much impact as as the full-length features.
1: I do love, I mean, I'm also a short film kind of person. That and I and I always love seeing a film where um it gives me a perspective on an artist I just didn't know about before, some of the ones that Nolini was mentioning before. So those are the ones I tend to gravitate towards that really that really move me. But I love that this year we had so many New York filmmakers that we were able to sort of bundle them together on Saturday night that you get to see. Not only New York filmmakers, but a lot of New York dance makers that are involved in those productions. People like Pam Tanowitz, so like these people that are here and they're working. It's kind of nice to be able to highlight them in a special program. Hopefully, that will attract their followers, their people, as well as ours, and that people get a little sense of pride. Like, hey, these are New Yorkers, all right.
2: And it's actually Sorry, I'm, a, I'm a New Yorker, so <laughs> yeah. And it's actually the first time we've ever had a New York filmmaker um, program in the Dance on Camera Festival. So we thought it was really important that we honor and recognize the people who are working right around us.
0: I know that there are a variety that kind of bridge the gap between the audience and the filmmakers themselves with kind of these live conversations Mm -hmm. that are available and open to the public. Um, Perhaps maybe we can jump in on those.
2: Um, so the program number eight is called the Production Grantee Program, and that's just a program that um, sort of highlights what DFA's mission is, and that is to help filmmakers and dance makers produce dance film and sort of get their work off the ground and into the public's eye, right? So um, that program is going to feature one of our Production Grantee awardees, and um, they will there will be a moderated discussion after the film is shown to sort of illuminate. Her process uh, throughout making the film and what are some of the challenges and some of the rewards and hopefully help that film financially and educationally supported enough so that it will um, come to fruition and be able to submit to the dance on camera festival in the end. Another one of the free programs
1: is a a conversation with four very unique directors, um, and that'll be led by longtime Dance on Camera curator, Liz Wolf, who has taken a year off, but we're keeping her involved as much as we can because she's brilliant about chatting with people and really sussing out from getting from them information about their process um, where inspiration comes from, you know, how did they arrive at these films, these really wonderful films. So four directors are going to be there. It's uh, Moira Kerr who directed St. LeRoy. um, And that's on, I think that film appears on Sunday night's short program. Uh, Jeremy Jacobs who co-directed the film with Pam Tanowitz called I was waiting for the, um, for the Echo of a Better Day, which is poetically just stunning, like a real stunning film. Uh, the third director is Brian Johnson, who um, directed Future Futures, really dystopian, um, tech forward. Really strange submission. And and it's a really strange submission for us because, you know, often we'll get a short or a feature or a mid length. And this this film is actually five. It's an episodic five part series that we're playing all as one and I I believe some of the the single episodes have premiered elsewhere but this is the first time all five will be shown together as one and then the fourth is Samantha Shea who um directed mother Mel- melancholia which is also on Saturday mid-afternoon it's part of a global shorts program and uh really surreal multi-layered sumptuous gorgeous film that I think these four together I'm I'm excited to hear what they have to say and just sort of uh, mostly about their process, how they arrive at these films, how they got there.
2: We also have a hashtag my Dance film program and that's another free program. And that is um, a pretty exciting program because these are films that are really accessible to the public. So they are um, submissions that are submitted online through Instagram, through a, ha- a hashtag. So any filmmaker in the world, anyone who has a phone or a camera, anyone who can make a film can submit and they're films that are under three minutes. And um, uh, one of our, um, our board staff, uh, Francisco Graciano, is our moderator for that conversation. And he's also the curator of the hashtag MyDanceFilm um, program. And it's always a really exciting program because the films are just so innovative and creative and um, just really beautiful. And they're really short. So they're really to the point and make a punch. I love going to that program because of these young, it's a lot of young filmmakers, first-time filmmakers. that
1: to see them there, seeing their film on a screen at Lincoln Center is really special. It's special to be there and witness that and, and hear them talk about it in, in the conversation. It's great. It's really great.
0: So following those free programs at Dads on Camera, the final um, program will actually be Flashdance, um, Adrian Lin's uh, 1983 film was wondering what the reasoning behind the programming for it was.
2: Well, in in typical dance on camera fashion, right, we like to celebrate films that have history, films that have and have had an impact on the world, right, specifically dance films. And Flashdance is one of those films, right? It's an iconic 80s film that we all know, we all love. Uh, and, um, we wanted to celebrate it. It's having its 40th anniversary this year. And we always try to catch on to films that are having an anniversary to see if we can help highlight, you know, that history, um, because those films have sort of paved the way for what we are doing. And, you know, they're in their own Avenue and their own lane, but, um, we wanted to bring it back and have a little bit of, you know, fun and, uh, a little bit of humor, you know, along with the festival dance film doesn't always have to be so serious. You know, it can also be a good time, you know?
3: So we all wanted people to come all dressed up if they wanted to wear their knee warmers from, um, which are coming back, by the way, but knee warmers were huge in the day, leg warmers and, and off the shoulders, all appreciated. People should come dressed for this. Right, Absolutely.
2: Michael? Aren't
1: you guys Absolutely? To- Absolutely. <laughs> and, I mean, for me, I think it's it's funny how it worked out that, you know, we talked about the opening night film Call Me Dancer. And then we have Flash Dance, these sort of bookends. And they really, I mean, they're both about aspiration. And so I love that the, it's that the festival lands, starts and ends in those two places about a young person with aspirations going after a dream and doing whatever it takes to get there. Some Sometimes they go a little too far, but that's okay. (laughs) You know, in the, in the end, it's just about them like living a dream. And I I love that. I love that idea of starting and ending the festival that way. And all those things. Nicely tied up,
3: Michael. That is really true.
1: I only thought about it the other day. Honestly enough, I was watching interviews with Jennifer Beals last night and just, it, it sparked in my head. I was like, how did we not notice that? So themes are still presenting. It's an ongoing process with the curation. I think even when we sit down, Cause, you know, we all go to this festival. We'll, we're at these these screenings, and suddenly you see even more parallels between the films as you sit and see them on the big screen and you watch them all together. So, who doesn't love that experience of getting in the theater with all these people, these dance film lovers, and enjoying these these incredible films? It's amazing. It's an amazing opportunity that this still goes on in New York for 51 years. This festival's here. It's amazing.
2: And hopefully as well that the a film like Flashdance is accessible to people who wouldn't normally come to the Dance on Camera Festival, but they see Flashdance and they they recognize that that film and they love that film. And hopefully that'll bring in new audiences as well, you know, to come and explore the other films that are on on the programs.
0: Lovely. Well, thank you all so much for coming together for this little programmer's preview of Dance on Camera. Again, the festival takes place February 10th to 13th at Film at Lincoln Center. Tickets are now on sale, as well as all-access passes for $79 and student all-access passes for $39. Uh, Make sure to check out the full lineup and get tickets at filmlink.org slash dance. Uh, Thanks again, you guys. Thank Thank you.
2: you.
3: And watch the films,
0: people. They are brilliant. <laughs> this episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast is brought to you by Ovid. IndieWire recently called Ovid increasingly essential, a streaming service for cinephiles determined to create their own canon. Ovid features radical, hand-picked, rarely seen films from around the world. Exclusively on Ovid this month are The Wobblies, the groundbreaking labor history documentary, newly restored and recently added to the National Film Registry plus Glenda Jackson and Susanna York in Jean Genet's The Maids. The Times calls Jackson and York's performances spellbinding. With films from Chantal Ackerman to Peter Watkins, Ovid invites you to look at life and cinema through a different lens. Now, through the end of February, sign up at Ovid.tv and use promo code ANNUAL to receive 50% off your first year. Catalan filmmaker Albert Serra reconfirms centrality in the contemporary cinematic landscape with this mesmerizing portrait of a French bureaucrat drifting through a fateful trip to a French Polynesian island with increasing anxiety. Pacifiction charts the various uneasy relationships that develop between Maguimel's autocratic yet avuncular High Commissioner de Roller and the indigenous locals who operate essentially under his faux benevolent thumb many of whom we meet at a resort that caters to the prurient exoticism of foreign tourists. Sarah's gripping atmospheric thriller is a slow-building fever dream that lulls before catching us by surprise with the depths of its darkness, a film that allows its incisive social commentary about the remnants of colonialism to surface through quiet observation and aesthetic audacity. Pacifiction opens February 17th in our theaters, with in-person intros and Q&As with Sarah on February 17th, 18th, and 19th. Get tickets at filmlink.org slash Let's go to the talk, moderated by FLC's Senior Director of Programming, Florence Almozzini.
4: I'm just going to ask, I guess, a couple of questions, and then we can open it up to the audience uh, so it's not just me speaking. Um, So it's interesting, and it's something you mentioned briefly in the introduction, that it's the first time you did a contemporary, like, present-day film. So can you talk about how that came about and why did you decide to go into the contemporary? um, I
5: don't know, it's it's, it's simple. I mean, I was a little bit tired of doing films about the period films or about the past, so I decided to, to do something about our times. I don't know, it's natural also. But at the same time, I knew it should be a French film with French subject, French stars and, you know, because of production reasons and I like it also, so there was no problem. But I didn't want to uh, shoot in, uh, I don't know, in continental France, I thought it would be a little bit boring, I don't know, I, I mean, I wasn't ready for it, I didn't…
4: Uh... I don't think they were ready for it. Either. No. <laughs>
5: I didn't know how to make it interesting. I mean, I didn't have any idea. So I said, okay, let's do it. But we'll do it in the, you know, Outre-mer, dom-tom territories. Uh, you know, there must be some, and it will be more artificial and more crazy. And okay. So I started to think about one place. And I said, Tahiti, maybe it's the most iconic one uh, of these, all these territories of, of Outremer. No, a French ultramane, and I don't know. I started to think about it. I read the autobiography of uh, Marlon Brando's wife, that uh, you know she was from there, and Mm -hmm. she she was talking about her own life and about uh, I don't know the transformation of the island, Mm -hmm. you know, since the 40s to the 70s because Mm -hmm. of several reasons. Of course, the nuclear test one, but also Hollywood and tourism and all these things. So. I like the idea of, you know, let's go there and see what's going on. And this idea of the other side of the paradise, of course, a little bit of decadent uh, atmosphere that I didn't know if it was real or not, but I felt that it could be, you know, quite interesting to check. And and at at the same time, as it was a colony or ex-colony, somehow, uh, I thought that most of the problems we are we are not problems but most of the you know tensions we are facing there you know all these places were more visible or more vis- visually interesting you know more graphic you know from you know because everything it's more extreme somehow so i said oh let's go there and see what's going on but at the same time i didn't have any you know but that the, the main idea was to avoid all cliches so to be really with all you know the free mind and I didn't care about anything social. In fact, you know, the, the word social was very important on the edit because when we were editing the film and there was an image, you know, one single image that the the, the flavor of social, you know, was penetrating or was inside the image that no, 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 out, you know, was the, the really the idea of making some kind of a pure, artificial, extremely you know, dream-like, uh, you know, film. No, no connection. And we were lucky because, in fact, during the shooting was, uh, you know, was locked down there, total lockdown. We were allowed to shoot, but so a little bit, the this dreamy side of the film, I think it, it corresponds with my initial idea of, you know, and of course, you know, this artificial side of, you know, having a postcard, very, you know, a postcard of the place with all and all the colors, for example, is saturated and even in, with unreal colors, you know, the rose and the strange reds, and you know, it's not real the, the, the colors of so we push really on this artificial, like I don't know, in a Minnelli film or Brigadon or whatever. But to combine this, and this is quite this was something I knew from my previous films, and I am very used to it with a very rough and wild performance of actors. So this was the, you know, the contrast and what for me was really challenging and I knew I will get it somehow. But, you know, the gap between the artificiality or the arbitrary side of the plot and all the craziness and the absurdity and the, you know, the the artificial side of the visuals Mm -hmm. should match with extreme, almost, I would say, not wild or rough, but even hyper realistic, even, you know, a machine like way of performing of the actors. But in a very uh, strange that even me as a as an editor uh, now, you know, I edit the film and but, you know, it surprised me somehow. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to really, you know, make these two things, put these two levels, two layers of, of, of very different tonalities or very different atmospheres together and see if it works. Of course, with a little bit of narrative and plot, what is also new from my previous films. And, and I don't know. And see if it can, it can work with the idea I said at the beginning in the presentation, you know, to make something... Different, to make something that it's worth to go to the cinema, that you cannot find it anywhere else because it's full of uh, difficult moments somehow. You know, okay, it's an easy film, people say, compared it with my previous ones. But still, you know, anti-climax moments, you know, dialogues that are on the edge of not, you know, being very connected with the plot, uh, extreme ambiguity on the characters, you know, a lot of things that if you are at home with a with a platform, sweet job, you know. It, it puts you the simply you change, you go to check your mobile, you go to cooking or you know you go to the kitchen, you do whatever you want. You want to escape the problems, you know. So, but when you are in the cinema, and you know, and you have to face this and what you will do, you are here. You will go out. No, you know what what you are going to see. I mean, there is some problems, but there is a. I mean, I mean, the images impose you something that has a reason. It has a has a logic in inner logic that is the inner, you know, formal logic of the film. So you stay there, and okay, you suffer or you enjoy or whatever it is. But yeah, but but you are there. I mean, and you you want to feel this experience of something that uh, it's simply that it's not you who decides. Mm-hmm. It's the film, you know. And the film has its logic. And even its, its logic that, uh, as I said. And it's, it's one of the key points to escape, to avoid cliche, is that it even escapes to my, my own control, you know? So I think that it's worth the experience and the challenge to discover something. And for me, doing the film was this challenge to really, you know, well, I mean, <laughs> to, to, to do it is because I am interested in what it will, what the result, how the result will look like. Mm-hmm. So and I don't know, this was the, the main thing. Of course, then there is can talk about it. Eh? There is a lot of problems with directing actors and not problems, but some tricky uh-huh. points. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, of course, and uh, some decisions and mm-hmm. and you know mix of atmospheres and the humoristic side of the film and a lot of things. No, that you have to to make it more complex. In fact. But uh, yeah, I don't know, it, 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 the challenge was this this one at the beginning to mix the artificial side of the, because the story, the, even the plot is absurd almost. You know, when you see that, okay, there is a submarine that will, you know, go up to pick up prostitutes. You know, how much it costs, you know, it will cost 500,000, you know, dollars, just the fuel to go up, you know, it's absurd. And, you know, this will be the proof that they will make the test. And you know, and when a submarine has to be down the water, you know, in order not to be, you know, scanned by the radars of the enemy. So it's completely absurd or, you know, or I don't know, it's it's, it's that uh, the admiral of a fleet of submarines is there looking for drugs or young guys or, you know, it's everything it's unbelievable somehow. And uh, I don't know, even the character of Majimel. Uh, I don't know, it's everything it's, it, 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 I mean, but, Somehow, because of the performance <laughs> of actors, as I said before, it became hypnotic. Mm-hmm. Because, and this is a little bit the key point: this hyper-realistic tone. Uh, that uh, you know, it's like a machine. Magimel is like a machine performing. You know, it's, it never there is no there is no vulnerability even if i to get this point you know i was playing with the vulnerability in general of factors but when you see the result it looks like that he has no it's not vulnerable you know so he's perfectly on, in control of of the of the situation as an actor or even as a character you know it's quite mixed it's mixed it's mixed okay. so but at the end you know the key point of everything is that he's vulnerable in fact because you know of the and we can talk about that uh, because of the methodology of the shooting he, he doesn't know anything you know he's really and he's really performing something very mysterious because of that because he's very concentrated and very precise but at the same time without direction, without meanings he, nobody knows where we are going in fact well it's a long I mean, we know. can
4: you know where you're going.
5: I don't know. <laughs> no, because it's the methodology. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a. We have three camera. All my system is based with two concepts. The concept of you know vulnerab- vulnerability of factors, losing, making them lose control of their own image. The idea that you know to 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 reach some kind of new innocence. How do you get n- new innocence, and how can you you know really achieve uh, a point where something pure appears with the, all the you know all the i don't know the sophistication we have in mind making films you have to really push them put a lot of pressure you know and in my case it's with non communication i never talk about them nobody reads the script nobody knows anything even the technicians so so put a lot of pressure on them three cameras always you know small cameras this case was black magic pocket you know, so, so and there was only three operators, cinematographer that operates one camera and two camera So with zoom lenses, so it means that they, the actors don't know what they are shooting they or why. Yeah. yeah, and they can not communicate with the cameras. It's impossible. I mean, you cannot control what the cameras are doing. So the principle that you apply such pressure and that inevitably they they are fucked. I mean, they are they lose control. Of their image. They cannot control. They cannot communicate with one camera. They cannot give something, you know, under control. It's impossible.
4: There is nothing fake.
5: Yeah, there is nothing fake. And the camera is picking up, you know, what? well, they are all the time shooting. There is no, you know, cut or there is no, (laughs) they don't know. You know, the borders between life and representation are totally Mm blurred. So, and they, okay, they lose hope of controlling, so how they they, and then? They give up. <laughs> yeah, they give up, because it's impossible. It's impossible, you cannot do it. The director is not talking to you, nobody read the script, you know, there is three cameras shooting all the time, mm-hmm. and okay, you are a famous actor, or you are a, I mean, you're a serious person, so you want to do it good. I mean, you want to make, to be precise, you want to be concentrated, you want to deliver something remarkable. So you do your best, but with without, you know, real, okay. but okay. So then, at this point, somehow, with this extreme vulnerability, because they lose control of their image, and some strange innocence appears again, and it's the only way I found in my life to to you know. And this is the first principle. And then, if you mix this with the idea that the, the cameras will capture, will record something that it's not visible to the human eyes, you know, this was something that it came. No, very clear from the beginning of my career especially with digital technology not only in the cameras it's very important but also with the edit mm-hmm. you, know, you know that most of the qualities of my film most of the interesting things I, I, I mean I got it's not visible during the shooting it's impossible mm-hmm. so mm, for me it has no sense to worry about you know I have the setup I have a casting I have the decors I have the costumes I have you know things I rely on more or less and then okay we'll see what happens and uh, because the camera I mean if I make a close-up I don't know just to put an example to make it understand because it's very easy to understand and I, th- I don't un- I really don't understand sorry to repeat but how do you, other filmmakers don't see this is that I don't know if I, I do a close-up of you for yeah. example no a camera 20 minute 20 minute close-up of you your face mm-hmm. you know? Camera has, uh, camera eye, no, the eye of the camera has, you know, will be there focus without being tired, without listening to sound, without looking at something else, without having ideas. No. Okay. We'll we point on you 20 minutes without being tired, blah, blah, blah. So me, as a director, my own eyes as a human being, I will get tired somehow 20 minutes and will not be all the time with the same concentration i will hear the sound i will hear i will have ideas i will uh, i don't know i will watch yeah what what is behind you mm-hmm. you know but the camera no so it's impossible it's totally impossible for me on real time during the shooting to you know to to real assess what's going on in your face then okay i do the you know, I have this material on the or computer, and then I said, okay, let's, watch it, you know, I watched this, you know, in a calm way. I said, ah, look at here, here there is 40 seconds that she looks like interesting, she looks very sad, but in a very intense way, mm-hmm. and ah, something transforms in, but it's very sweet, or here it's very light, and ah, but now, but here it, you know, I can analyze, and really, you know, check the good moments, or the relevant moments of you know these 20 minutes. So, what can I do there in the shooting? It's absurd. You know, it's so subtle that you know I have no, I have no tools to deal with it. No, really. And okay, my eyes are very good. Uh, human eyes uh, for I don't know for aesthetic, uh, good uh, to decide good compositions. You know, camera has not taste. You know, the eye of the camera. My eyes have good taste. Can predict movements. Can predict things. So they are good for some intuitive uh, things but to assess you know the the quality of the material or to react it's absurd. Mm-hmm. so the whole film and especially in this case because it was a narrative film was, was based on this idea again the vulnerability of actors within Liberté was explicit sex and it was quite obvious that you know vulnerability was higher and uh, you know uh, I never met anybody that naked was, you know, more uh, less vulnerable that, you know, we addressed, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I knew how to do it and, and my Gmail was quite, you know, was quite uh, strange. I mean, even for me nowadays, it's mysterious. And uh, I mean, I watched the images and we used several techniques. Mm-hmm. He was using the earphone sometimes, okay. but he was very brave, you know? Uh, At the beginning, he didn't want to make the film, but somebody convinced him and uh, he said, yes. And then I know it's like a rock star, he's a wild guy. Mm -hmm. So uh, he has problems too, but (laughs) it's all actors. Uh, But I mean, uh, you know, he's very competitive person. So it means that on the, especially on the first take, he was very, you know, he wanted to show how great he was somehow as an actor. And he was extremely concentrated. For example, in some scenes where, I don't know, uh, I was putting earphones, no? For uh, air, uh, airpods or what, uh, uh, you know, airpods or, well, okay. Yeah. So, put that, no, I said, he, he didn't, he had the script in the room and you no, know, it was open. So I visit him before the shooting in the room and I saw the script open in, h- in his room, hotel, and, uh, but then he was asking me during the shooting, some questions, putting some questions that I really understood that he didn't read the script because they were absurd questions and he read maybe some fragments of it, mm-hmm. but you know, the whole thing he didn't You know, it was absurd, the questions he put. So, okay.
4: How okay. long was the script? What? How long was the script? No, it was very long.
5: <laughs> it was a very detailed script, very, it was like a novel. No, very, no, very, very, I can't, I can't, yeah. no, no, no. Well, maybe for the reason he didn't read it, you know you know how lazy actors are, you know so uh but uh, I mean, okay, but for me, I never give the script because you know it's only when there is agents involved mm-hmm. that they want to give the actors the script because if not, but uh, okay, then, uh, then they are not very interested in it, <laughs> so uh okay, but I, I understood that he didn't know you know. Really, what was going on? Because he didn't know the, the whole thing. So, but for example, I put the earphone. The what is it? or uh, air, Where was? Uh, earpiece. 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 Yeah, earpiece. earpiece.
4: earpiece. Yes, yeah. whatever.
5: No, I mean to, to to. hear, right? Yeah, yeah. To you know, give the dialogues. Yeah, earpiece. Yeah, earpiece. Uh earpiece. And um, okay, I said, "Benoit," as I don't communicate a lot. I said, "Benoit." Uh, The dialogues and fast, you know? You will hear the dialogues, you repeat it, and if there is a mistake, if you don't understand, whatever, you keep on. Never stop, never, you know, and if it's 45 minutes of, you know, of a take, it's 45 minutes, and we did some 45-minute takes. So you do, and you keep on, you never stop. Whatever, if you are tired, you go to pee, you go, but never look at the camera, never answer to me if I talk. Never, you know, never stop. You know, you keep on. If you're tired, you sit down. If you want to sleep, you sleep. But, you know, you do it in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. You know?
4: In character.
5: Yeah, yeah. You do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Okay, but he was very competitive, as I said, in the first, and so he was giving his best somehow. And, okay, but it's very difficult, you know, because you don't know the script. You have the the airpiece here. Somebody is saying the dialogues. And you really have to... You know, understand what's going on there. There is some people in front of you, some other actors. So you have to understand the situation of what's going on in real time, yeah. and you have to deliver the dialogues. And understanding what's going on, try to perform. You know, it's not so easy. I mean, but at the same time, it's very. Um, you have the herpes here. I mean, this is because I did films with herpes in the past, very long, long. You know, with a lot of hours of film. So you have the earpiece. It means the tension, when you don't know anything, it's here, in the brain, the connection with the ear and the brain, it's very close. So it means that, you know, you have to be very, and you're here, you know? So you're very concentrated on energy, it's very vertical. Of course, you lose all hope of, you know, uh, of communicating with cameras because there is three, and you never know what they were shooting, and you know, it's crazy. So, but your tension is here, and it's so difficult to understand, you know, to to deliver the dialogues, at the same time understanding what's going on there, who are you, who are these people, uh, what do you are trying to do, that you need a lot of tension. So it means that, for example, all the body, all the gestures of the body, it's automatic. You cannot control the body. (laughs) You have so much pressure and understanding the dialogues, delivering the dialogues, and and it's here, next to the brain. It's not, you know... Whatever you will do with your body, it will be extremely spontaneous and hyperrealistic. You will never be in control. It's impossible. It's literally impossible. You cannot control everything, and of course, you know, controlling the cameras, what they are doing. I mean, it's impossible. Impossible. Zero chances. You know, you are lost
4: mm-hmm.
5: because the pressure of the <laughs> the dialogues it's, it's so high. And then, okay, then okay, you you and he was very gifted with the. Verbal imagination. Because no. when there was problems with the dialogues or that he couldn't follow in, you know, the speed was too much and he made mistakes. But somehow he was improving it. Okay. Because he was creating new sentence or new words or new, okay. because of the, of the tension.
4: Okay. But when I, he understood the character you wanted to do. He was understood, that.
5: he was understanding okay. it in real time. Mm-hmm and every time was new i mean okay and this was one moment so so it's almost a spectral almost you know dream this dream like tonality of the of the performance it comes from a, and then suddenly i don't know he got used to it of course first take of every shot of every scene was the best because he didn't know anything so he was really in real time with extreme pressure and but okay then second take he always tried to make variations not to repeat the same thing, but okay, he understood what was going on, yeah. so he put automatic pilot like in the you know in the flight um, more or less the second take was not so because he didn't, he didn't he didn't require the same tension mm-hmm. because he understood he he, he, yeah. he said set the setup mm-hmm. but okay, I was all the time for example then for example, in this scene it's very inter- it's very beautiful because <laughs> it's, it's funny in the scene of the where he discusses with the local leader in the middle of the film, and they try to make, you know, a revolution, whatever, and they try to, you know, convince him that he has to be with them and they will make a fake revolution. And it's, you know, a very tough dialogue. And, you know, for the first time, you, you see a little bit the weakness of the, the character, and he's not very comfortable. And the guy really is very smart and pushing him. So we did the first take with the I put the the herpes on him, okay, whatever. I said, ah, it's not very interesting. So, and I already prepared a little bit, the scene with the other okay. actor without him knowing. You know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and then I give also the herpes. Mm-hmm. I said, ah, Benoit, the airpiece, you don't need it. You are very smart, whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah. Why the,
4: That works? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no,
5: because he, he liked to change a little bit, and you know, because the airpiece the is, is a lot of pressure, also, and you get tired. So, well, he said, okay, I don't use it. And I give it to him, but without him knowing, without okay. Benoit knowing. So, the guy suddenly became very smart, very, we you know, with very great, uh, you know, I don't know, very intelligent, <laughs> with great, uh, um, I mean, sentence, and you know, and he's totally, as an actor, He's totally out of, you know, out of, uh, he's totally disoriented. Because the the other guy is very smart, he's pushing key, very aggressive, very violent. It's handsome, Mm -hmm. you know. And he was quite jealous about it, I knew. (laughs) So, and suddenly he's not only handsome, but intelligent. (laughs) And, you know, performing in a nice way Mm -hmm. as an actor. So he was totally disoriented, and he's, he starts to become weak as an actor. Of course, what we see in the film, because mostly, for example, in this scene, I use the, sec, I use the second take. This one, mm-hmm. it's the the weakness of the of the actor. But in the film, is the weakness of the character. Mm-hmm. I always, you know, work with the person, mm-hmm. you know, that is the real person with the actor that is the vanity, the person with the vanity of being shooted, and the character that is yeah. the readable, you know, key. Mm-hmm. So then he he he's there. And he doesn't understand anything, you know, and it's super, you know, it's, it's, it's totally, you know, it's totally disoriented. And we, he has no tools to fight this. And then, okay, the scene, it's all, the, the take, it's over, and he comes to me, and he says, Albert, Albert. He comes to me and said, listen, I never allow anybody to talk to me like this, even in side fiction. <laughs> you know, he was so upset. Of, the, of, of not the, having tools to face, you know, the, the situation. Oh <laughs> but it, as an actor. Mm-hmm. But in the film, is as an, a character. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and you know, the whole film, it's, it's full of these, it, full of these, you know, techniques or strategies, little strategies. It, it looks silly, mm-hmm. but it, it works very well. somehow, And it, it gives this uh, hyper-realistic touch mm-hmm. to the whole, that this wild touch on the performance of actors that it's, you know, it makes the contrast with the artificial side of the hall. And also with the other actors. You know, very strange. Mm-hmm. It, I even don't know, you know, exactly don't understand how it's, it works. So, even the, for example, the scene of the the love, because also the dialogues are very out of the love of scene where, where she said you will be oh. a lion no, you, you are mean. a lion you will be my army
4: but you, you wrote it
5: <laughs> I don't remember but uh, <laughs> now it was I mean of course we work on that on the, on, the, on the set but I don't know if it was written or not but you know it's it's, uh, it's very strange mm-hmm. but it works yeah. you know it's very moving mm-hmm. but in, in a complete strange this is one somehow uh, unknown atmosphere what I call unknown atmospheres you never seen you have never seen before in cinema I for example agree. this is a scene
4: i have to say i agree yeah yeah. yeah.
5: because you know it's very so strange like a love you know dialogue or whatever and, but the smiles and everything it's so realistic but the content it's so absurd i don't know the and also the humor part, the humoristic part of the, the film, I like it very much. And it was uh, it was very, I mean, I was a little bit focused on that because it was part of my fun. And it's full of, you know, but it's, they are so subtle details on the, on the humor mm-hmm. that sometimes I, uh, in the edit, we are scared that no, nobody will understand. Or no, I don't know, for example, on the first scene, well, not the first, but the one that they, they are dealing with the, the first time in the, the lunch, with the, the indigenous people, the first conversation. So there is one moment where the the, the guy, the local, mm-hmm. the indigenous, indigenous uh, says, stay and he's talking and talking, you know, three minutes in Tahitian without subtitles.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: So he said, you know, okay, three minutes talking and talking and talking, the one with the tattoos in the yeah, face. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they bring, you know, the some food to him, but it's already quite. Strange, you know, because he's eating, the others are not eating, so you didn't understand if he's okay, whatever. And they said, the and the indigenous the, the local guy says, Ah, this is the food in, in Tahitian. This is the food coming from the lagoon that will allow you. And they translate to him. Mm-hmm. He he himself translates one sentence, and the other girl translate part of the dialogue. So it's very brief about the food. And then you said, They are translating into what do they what did they did with the three minutes before? You know, did he understood? Did he understand? You know what, what they were saying or what? You know, it's completely absurd. I mean, it's it's, it's on the edge of really. I, you don't know it's, it's, if it's not politically correct. If it's uh, you know how colonialism works. If he was really understanding what he was saying or not, if he was not interesting, why they translate? You know, something after and then the three minutes before. No, mm-hmm. you know, and he looks like you know. You never know the attitude of him. Not uh, in the same scene. You know, there is one moment where it said that they will party in the fourth, 14th of July. 14th, mm-hmm. yeah, in the yeah, French. 14th like, uh, of July, they will party in the casino. You know, what is already quite <laughs> crazy to think that the, uh, you know, the. the, the best you know the best what you can get of what you can get of freedom is to have a casino <laughs> you know it's quite dubious but okay they they will party the casino and whatever because mm-hmm. to go against the charge and the power of the charge and and he says but because we didn't make we didn't make the revolution the French revolution for nothing <laughs> no he says this he said yeah. at least and he points himself it's very subtle. You know, because it's something. It, of course, it's what it was not prepared. But he says, at least we, not you. I mean, uh, we made the French Revolution. Uh, and he points like this. You know, so it's very. What is this? You know, it's very weird. Really, it's uh, somehow it's very crazy, and it's uh, you know it's full of humoristic details. There is one moment that nobody sees, but it's very for me. It's, it's extremely challenging as a, you know, to understand the meaning well, of a lot of things. And they are looking for the submarine mm-hmm. with a torch. Trying to see what is quite, <laughs> quite uh, ridiculous, you know, to look for a submarine with a torch. And then goes the guy with the jet ski and say, well, let's go and let's keep on. And about half an hour more, you go to east, you go to west, and about the, the sun will come, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the, jet, the guy with the jet sky leaves. And then he smiles. He, he looks at the guy of the jet sky smiling. But he smiles in a way that, I mean, in the history of cinema, the way he smiles when the guy is leaving the jet sky will be, you know, in 100 years, will be a landmark. You know? No, really. It's not a joke. Okay. It will be something that people will study, and will say, you know, this was the real cinema of that time. You know that why he's smiling, the way he smiles. You know what is this? What is you know? And they will go on, go on, go on discussing about. You know that this smile. I know. I recommend you to watch the film again and to see this moment, because. You know, it's. Uh, I,
4: I watched it four times.
5: <laughs> so this smile—it's uh, so, so intriguing. Smile
4: is in my history of cinema.
5: <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's a moment that I don't know, and you cannot find this kind of moment. This kind of moments—it's quite, quite rare in cinema, mm-hmm. uh, especially in cinema nowadays because und- everything is under control, and you cannot create this. This—it comes from very far, you know, to arrive to create this smile. It's very very difficult okay it was a long talk but maybe questions for the audience
4: that was only my first question <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> second question well no i have many but uh i think if anyone in the audience wants to ask a question before we close the cinema um do we have do we have microphone yes okay so there I, c- there is, you know. I can't i can't see anything with the light so just bring the microphone to someone who's no, raising there is so. their hand oh there's someone in the end there
5: it's not something i try but it's a logical consequence of the methodology i think if me myself you know as an editor of the film i cannot even really reach the point to understand to to control the meanings of the film you know it means that it push in very strange direction and probably to the spectator you know it will be very challenging for, for him, and, and of course it's, we are talking about the utopia of the dark, you know, the dark uh, room of cinema, where, you know, innocence in general, or faith on images, it's uh, what is the rule, because you don't go to cinema, it's not a museum, there is no critical point of view, there is not satirical point of view, you know, when you go to cinema, it's because there is the utopia of the dark room that you somehow have faith on the images and you believe that what you see it's true somehow for even if it's very artificial and you want to feel this utopia, you know, happening now in front of you and uh, uh, you know, so in this, in some sense, uh, if the film it's not clear in itself because the way it's done, it's very strange and very challenging even for the people who did it, you will have, you know, uh, you know identification of what you see it's the rule of this utopia at the same you are, you are you enter in a world that is' totally different from your life but in the utopia of the, the room suddenly it becomes part of you but at the same time if there is no clear meanings on that the same vulnerability that the maybe the characters are experiencing somehow is the real vulnerability of you it becomes a physical experience and this is the different point of you know when you do it on the platforms or at home or yes because the content is more simple, of course, but also because the, the vulnerability implies, you know, body vulnerability from my point of view. And in Liberty was quite clear because as in a spectator, you were somehow, you know, very aggressed. You know, there was an aggression on your body of what you are seeing. Here, intellectually, you suffer a little bit the same because it's quite obscure, the plot, and, you know the mix of tonalities and the humor and they're not politically correct of some moments, but it's always on the edge and you don't understand exactly you know it's very uncertain what you are in which kind of images uh, you are, which kind of images you are facing. So uh, yeah, of course this is not uh, this is not you know the zone of comfort, even in the darkness of the of this uh, cinema. Yeah, it's not you don't like it to you are not used to it and you are less and less used to it so I don't know it's not that I pretend to to put the spectator because it's not about provocation in fact in the film there is no provocation it's very light you know everything is very you know you cannot you cannot identify a provocation in the film one scene one more it's not the goal I mean so there is there is nothing conscious on on the really Uh, So I I think it's a natural consequence. I will not say if I like it or I don't like it. If it's physical, I like it because it means that we are in cinema. We are still, you know, our intimacy plays a role. The same for the characters in the film. So if intimacy plays a role, then it's good. I like it and it's the experience that as I said at the beginning, it's worth the $30 and the effort, you know, to live it. It doesn't matter how rich you are. You cannot pay for it. You have to be here and now. And it's me who has to to do the film. You know? You will never be able. You are the richest man in the world. You cannot do it again. So you cannot copy it. There is no other way. You can copy a lot of things. You can buy a new Tesla or similar and it will be almost the same experience. This one, you know, to get closer to the same experience, it's much more difficult. Even with a lot of money. So... This is the point of of coming here, and, of course, it's the point of art in general, but, uh, you know, and, okay, if you call it vulnerability, I think it's physical, so it's good. I don't know. Okay. I, uh, I mean, what is the opposite of vulnerability? It's pleasure, no? Somehow com- it means like you are in front of a porn movie or something like that, you know, that you get something physical, but it's pleasant, but... What is, if it's pleasant it's porn movie or, or uh, I don't know unless it's you know pleasant in an addictive way that is the TV series or the platform's products that is like uh, an addict you know drug addict. that it's pleasant, but less and less pleasant. The more you follow, the more you need and the less pleasure you have. So here I think it's the, a little bit the opposite that Melbourne, Melbourne, it's like a masochistic, it's true. also it's like a drug addict somehow. But uh, it's a, the more you know uncomfortable it is, the more you want. But I prefer uncomfortable. I mean, uh, you know because I think
4: I, we know. <laughs> yeah,
5: no, and not only me, I think all interesting <laughs> cinema cin, cinema nowadays, mm-hmm. it puts some difficulties. Mm-hmm. you for you as a spectator, some physical difficulties, and I think it's worth uh, the experience. Well, I don't know, is what I said. Mm-hmm. If it's pleasant, it's what? It's porn movies. It's simple movies, you know, all the other possibilities are unpleasant. Mm-hmm. So, and the wall it's unpleasant. So we don't have to, uh, I mean, I, of course, you like to, but I think cinema, it's not the, way, the place. Right? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, every film is different. I would love to make a comedy that, or it will never be a comedy because I, what I like is the mix of textures and the mix of atmospheres and, you know the, the, mm-hmm. the strangeness of the whole thing but maybe it can be a little bit more on the i don't know on the funny side an openly funny side okay. but it's not so not so easy because uh, you know banality can appear quite easily I,
4: I, maybe not with you i don't i don't I think hope something so. I mean, to worry uh, about if
5: i i mean i i do a great fight inside myself to fight the cliche and okay. all the methodology I create, you know, over all these years, is uh, to to avoid cliché, to really create. I don't know to, to escape the 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 you know, to even not having one single image that you know is it. Oh, we already saw it. Mm-hmm. So well, I mean,
4: also you did the Emoš Vogel talk last year, and you talked yeah, a lot about it. It's very important, very important influence. Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, okay. I always said that the. You know, Amos Vogel is you know, it's a, it's a great influence on me, but not only Amos Vogel, some other, you know, film, important film critics, mm-hmm. and American ones, very, you know, uh, Manny Farber, Robin Booth, mm-hmm. you know, this was the really, you know, great influence on me. And because it's, you know, crazy people, and they, you know, they sense somehow where the, there is something strange on the images, where, you, where the, it's not clear. Where you you have to you have to doubt where there is some doubts where there is some where it's challenging you, challenging you and of course the collective experience of this challenge it's another question but as we are here but okay it's complex but I mean it influenced me a lot and it helped me a lot to analyze images as it's only possible with digital technology to create the images on the shooting with digital mm-hmm. to go really in deep with the potential of digital cameras because nobody is doing it or at the beginning of digital into the beginning of 2000 a lot of filmmakers were really you know thinking that ah, this is great and even with the small cameras and but it was you know suddenly it was quite easily forgotten mm-hmm. and then People is okay. It's very always shooting in digital, even all these fetishists of thirty five now they are using digital, which is quite surprising. Um, I don't know the reason should, we should ask them. Uh, but uh, okay, but they are doing it if they were shooting uh, you know the unities, the shot and preparing and all the meetings and you know, I don't know other meanings and you know. okay, boring.
4: I would love to talk until tomorrow morning. And I'm sure we have more questions. Well, the last, last
5: question, maybe. Very, I will answer very okay, short. Okay,
4: but it has to be a brief question. Yeah. <laughs> I will sem- answer and it. a semi-brief answer. Yes. Oh well, yeah. And now he's going to talk for two hours. know. No, no, <laughs> yeah. it's a
5: difficult question. Yeah, no, I mean... Because
4: he's going to know what you were thinking about.
5: <laughs> no, the idea of applying, of course, yeah. the idea of applying the same system yeah. to a narrative film yeah. and that it should be more or less uh, plot. I don't know. It was a challenging to. It was a challenge to answer my previous film. It was extremely conceptual and closed, uh, you know, very uh, formalistic approach yeah. in Liberty. So I said, ah, let's uh, open it. Let's put some fresh air Let's go contemporary.
4: Let's, let's make fun of
5: France. Yeah, let's make a little bit of fun of the uh, modern the times. The Yeah, I don't know. Let's the, uh, the, the
4: French.
1: Uh, yeah, whatever. If it's French, casting.
5: yeah, French or whatever. I mean, it's not. Uh, let's put you know, nuclear fashionable again. That it was you know before the before the all these things because we sh- uh, they wrote the script and it was all the nuclear subject was there already and we shoot the film you know one year and a half ago or 2021, yeah? So, uh, I mean, nothing of this. So, I don't know. Uh, why not? I mean, my my point was, and I like the idea of previous films. That, ah, let's do the methodology with explicit sex. You know, I never thought that it could be interesting or that the methodology could be applied to yeah. explicit sex. I said, okay, it works. Now let's do it with the narrative films. Of course, it's, you know, it adds, it's very light, the narrative of the, because, I don't know, it's a, it's my style. When you really work out of control, it means, it implies that the meanings are also a little bit out of control. Mm-hmm. So if they are out of control, the dramaturgy of it cannot be very organized or cannot be very, because it means that if it's organized, it's you are in control of the dramaturgy because the meanings, more or less, are in control. So of course, my film, is very uh, somehow mysterious and abstract and the plot. I mean, you know, referring to the, to the plot. Because there is no alternative. How, how can you do it? How can you make a perfect plot where everything, you know, it's understandable, where everything, it match at the end, everything it's, you know, everything it's perfect, and it will be on control. There is no way. Then you cannot, you cannot work with the actors this way because they will be delivering something that more or less we all know because it has too match and it has to be, you know, has to finish or it has to, you know, be coherent in a very... I don't know, it can be very complex also, but it will be on control, I mean, under control.
4: So, so we are not calling you to do James Bond, I think.
5: Why? I don't
4: know. <laughs> I <mean. laughs>
5: I don't know it's not a too
4: much control
5: I don't know why I think that I mean I think that even for normal films mm-hmm. you know a little bit of my system it will make these films better more uh, you know a little bit maybe not too much because of course normal people will don't like it and will get bored or whatever but you know a bit. but a little. I mean but this is what it doesn't exist in life. This is a little bit. So with me or with the system, it's all or nothing. So this a little bit.
4: I think we're going to keep. If you are,
5: if you think about a little bit, it's already that you think you are controlling how much yeah. are you giving or how much are you receiving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You became a speculative, a yeah. a speculative guy. So, but still, I think that for a normal person, a normal director, that it's not me learning from me. A little bit it will help them you know because they can do it in a cynical way I can but they can because they only have to apply a little bit so it will be much better for these films or for the you know the goodness of humanity and the world in general so yeah so I mean but okay the whole thing of course the whole thing will be better for the goodness of humanity I always said what do you prefer that, uh, you know, that, uh, that the world, what do you think? How do you, what do you think the world will be better if everybody looks, uh, watch Bergman films, for example, or Scorsese films? How do you think that humanity will improve better? No, 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 just answer the question. Bergman or Scorsese? It it's very simple. No, it's not terrible. I, I give you the answer, Bergman. No, I give you the answer, Bergman. The humanity will be better if everybody is obliged to watch Bergman films, not the Scorsese films. If you have to decide between both, or who says, I don't know, Kubrick or Godard? Of course, humanity will be better if everybody watches Godard films. Uh, you know, I am ab- absolutely sure that, you know, the, the world will improve, and, uh, you know, okay. obliging them. I mean, so, if you put it on the
4: extremes, I am right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, I also want to thank Grasshopper for bringing the film to the festival. We will open it in February next year, and we will leave more time for (laughs) Q&A. Thank you so much.